notice that I'm wearing something a little different than I normally do for preaching. And so, doing this because tomorrow is not just Halloween, I'm not dressing up for Halloween, but it's also something known in the church calendar as Reformation Day. And Reformation Day celebrates the day, October 31st, 1517, when a man named Martin Luther, a Roman Catholic priest, went to the chapel at Wittenberg and nailed what are known as the 95 Theses and began what we know as the Protestant Reformation. This attempt to reform, to recover, to go back to the teachings of the early church, to revive the church, and it revolved around a number of different things. And one of the central things that the Reformation talked about was the idea that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And those are kind of the, some of the central teachings. And so this passage we look at today in Romans chapter 3 really is one of the central passages used in that. And we see those words, justification, righteousness, faith, all come down in there. And there's a lot of big words and a lot of debates about exactly what these mean. And I don't want to get wrapped up too much in all of those. But I want us to see the big picture of what Paul is getting at here. And to focus on what he's doing. And particularly this term righteousness. Or as Karen was reading, and I like that translation, justice. Because it's really the same word. There's this um, Greek word and the root is dik, D-I-K. And it shows up seven times in Romans 3, 21 through 26. And then another couple times in 327 through 31. And it's about righteousness, or we could translate it as justice. And so we see this passage and where it's coming from. And we've been reading through Romans and making this argument. And we also need to see where this fits in Paul's argument coming up to this point. But I'm also reminded of a quote by Scott McKnight, who's a professor at Northern Seminary. And he talks about this idea. And he says this, he says, the interpretation of a paragraph can overwhelm its original function. And by that, he means sometimes we can get so caught up and say, this paragraph is all about this, that we forget why Paul wrote that particular paragraph and how it fits in the overall argument. So again, we're studying the, Paul's letter to the Romans. And in Paul's letter to the Romans, he's writing this church he hasn't been to. And he's presenting to them his case for the good news of Jesus, kind of showing that what he's teaching is the same as what they've been taught. But he's also addressing a church that's experiencing divisions, where there's this division between probably the Jews and Gentiles, or later on he refers to the strong and weak, and different ideas of how one gains status before God, and one group is looking at superior over to the other, and the other group is looking down on the others. And so a lot of what Paul is doing is he's getting at this, and so he set it up. He starts in chapter 1, he presents, this is the God, that he's preaching the gospel. The gospel is this announcement of what God has done through Jesus, the resurrected and reigning king. And that this gospel, this good news, is the righteousness of God or the justice of God, the saving faithfulness of God to make things happen. And it's power, power to save. And then in 1.18 through 3.20, all that leads up to this, he kind of lays out the case that everybody's got a problem. Everybody's got this problem of sin. And so he wants to be clear because there were cases maybe where some people think they do and some people think they don't. And he wants to put everybody on a level playing field. And so in 1.18 to 3.20, paints this picture of sin in the world. Not only individual sins, but the power of sin, where people are caught under the power of sin. And so he's leading up to this, and it all leads to this here in 3.21, where he says, but now. And you can hear kind of the change. 
He's been talking all this. He's like, this is what's been happening. Everyone's been sinning and everyone's under the power of the sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. In one translation, it's just, but now God, to which the law and the prophets testify. So, but now is this major change. And so we can hear it in Paul's letter like, okay, we've been talking about how bad things are, but now God. And it's this great turning point, this idea of a new age that people have been unfaithful People have been unjust, but God. And I think if nothing else, we can take that home with us this week as we're thinking through the challenges and struggles of the world and maybe the own struggles in our life and we're thinking, I don't know, and then we say, but God. Because God comes in and acts. And what does God do? He rescues. He saves. And it says, what does God make known? His righteousness. And how does he make it known? And that's what we're going to get at. So what does God make known? How does he make it known? And what's our response? And so I encourage you, if you have your Bible, whether it's a paper version, electronic version, to kind of follow around, because it is a complex and challenging passage. And again, we're not going to be able to get into every little bit of it, but take a look at it. And what's made known, first of all, is the righteousness of God. That's what he says in 321. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. And so I like righteousness, the justice of God, or Michael Gorman, one of the scholars I like, he says, it's the covenant saving faithfulness of God. So righteousness isn't simply that God's really good and doesn't break the rules. The righteousness of God, not only does God, it's God's character, but out of God's character, God's character, he acts. And one of the things God does is he makes things right. And so this is the saving justice of God. And he says, it's not found in the law, but the law testifies it to it. In other words, it isn't apart from that, but the Scripture's testifying to it. And so we're getting this picture. First of all, when Paul has painted this picture of everything bad, he says, but now, but now what? God has made known His saving faithfulness. Well, how did He make it known? It says, this righteousness or this justice is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And so what's, what he's getting at is not simply that we lack righteousness, and I think sometimes we think of that as like, oh, well, I lack righteousness means I broke the rules. I'm not a very good person. Or maybe that there's some sort of legal charge against me. And then God's righteousness is applied. But this language is really God making things right. He speaks, it happens. And so we share in Jesus' death and resurrection. So we're saying this righteousness, this making right of all things by God is revealed in Jesus Christ. And so like Peter Lethert, another scholar, he describes it as a deliverdict. And it makes up a words. You know, sometimes people do that. They make up words. And in other words, it's a divine verdict plus divine deliverance. And so this picture of not only does God say we're righteous, but he makes us righteous. So it's not simply a legal fiction where God says, well, you're really sinners, but I'm going to pretend you're not. But he says, I'm not only going to declare or declare a verdict of righteousness, but I'm going to make you that way. And then he goes on, well, how does this righteousness come? And it says this righteousness, and this is back to verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have your Bible, you might note there's a little letter there. And I talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Like sometimes there's a little letter in your Bible and down at the bottom, it says something else. And it says here, it says, or through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And so this goes back to, again, I often mention this, scholars like to dig into all kinds of crazy things and like go into like these minute details and stuff. But one of the 
big issues or challenges over the last couple hundred years has been this question of this little phrase, pistis Christu in, in Greek, the faith of Christ. And does it mean to faith in Christ or does it mean the faithfulness of Christ? And I kid you not, there are entire books written on that two-word phrase. But I think the better translation, the, the way in the, the scholarship has been leaning more and more to it, it's not simply faith in Christ, but it's the faithfulness of Christ. So in other words, God's justice is displayed in Jesus being faithful. In other words, we see the saving justice of God made known through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So as it's going along, God's saying, this is what it looks like. It's the faithfulness of Jesus. Well, how do we see the faithfulness of Jesus? He was obedient. And how obedient was Jesus? To the point of death, right? And we see even faithfulness and obedience linked earlier in the letter of Romans. But through Jesus' faithfulness, his obedience comes as death. And that demonstrates God's justice. Because God's justice does what? It doesn't ignore the sins. So Jesus endures a punishment, but it also doesn't allow sin to permanently affect our relationships. And so we see God's justice displayed through Jesus being faithful. But then he goes on and he says it's available to who? To all who believe or to all who have faith. And faith is this believing allegiance, the sense of saying, I'm going to commit myself. It's not simply believing it up here in our head, but it's believing and committing ourselves to it. In fact, we're going to spend all next week, chapter 4, where we look at the story of Abraham to see what it looks like to live by faith. But he says, it's to all who believe. In other words, there's no distinction. And I think that's what Paul is getting at. Is it, there's, it's the same deal. Whether you're a Jew or Gentile, Paul doesn't look, God doesn't look and say, well, you have one deal and you have another deal. You can have salvation one way and you can have salvation another way. Now, you get righteousness this way, and you get righteousness a different way. He says, no, it's the same thing. The righteousness, the justice, the saving faithfulness of God, God's declaration of our righteousness, His creation of righteousness in us comes only one way. Through Jesus Christ, through His faithfulness, received by our belief and our commitment. And he, then he kind of returns back to like, and everybody needs it because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. And I'm guessing that many of you, maybe if you were grew up in here, this is like, this is like got to be up in the top five of like Bible verses to memorize, right? All have sinned and fall short. Of the, in other words, they lack the glory of God. And I think it's more than just like God's glory is this incredible standard and we all miss that. But it goes back to this picture of where do I usually go to talk about things? Genesis 1, where we're given, people are given a role to rule and reign, or Romans 1.23, which says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking was clouded and their foolish hearts were darkened. And it says they exchanged the glory. This is Romans 1, 1.23, not 3.23, 1.23. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. In other words, God has given us a vocation, a calling to be his people, to rule and to reign. And he's described it already in chapter one. He says, we've traded that in. We said, well, instead of reflecting God's glory, we're going to choose something else. And I think that's what he's getting at in 323. 
that we're exchanging this thing that God has given to us and we're doing something else. We're participating in idolatry. We're failing to reflect His glory. And so when he says in 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, he's just elaborating on that. He's saying, we've missed the mark. We're not being the people that God has called us to be. And therefore, or we could say, but God, but now God does what? He's done His work in Jesus. Shown His saving faithfulness to everyone who has faith. And he makes it clear in 324, it's a gift. And there he says, and all are justified freely by his grace. And so he starts painting this gift language. All are justified, all are made right. All are made righteous. And so that word righteousness and justified, again, that same root. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. What he's saying is, it's a gift. And that's why I remember I said, Three keys to the Reformation were, were saved by grace, through faith in Christ alone. Grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. So we're saved by grace alone. In other words, this is that idea of grace as a gift, a gift to us. Now, Christmas is coming, right? And when I was growing up, we had Santa Claus. And who gets a gift from Santa Claus? Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, you better be right. You know, like, you, he's making a list, checking it twice, going to find out, what, who's naughty and nice. And, and, and if you're good, you get the gift, right? But here, what Paul has painted is this picture of everyone has rebelled. Everyone has chosen their own way over God. Everyone has chosen idolatry. Everyone has done all these things. And then what did God do to all these people who have been in rebellion, to all these people who have chosen their way over His way, all these people who are failing to live up to His glory that He has given to them? What does He do? He gives them a gift. They are justified freely to the undeserving I mean, we think usually in terms of like, we like to think we deserve what we get. And even when we think about the gifts we give, I mean, we give our gifts in limited fashion. We look and we kind of say, well, you know, I'm going to give to the people who deserve it. Maybe it's because they're related to us. But God gives freely and undeserved. He gives it to those who exchange the truth for a lie, who exchange God's rule for something else. And so we want to see this picture of God's incredible grace and grace as just gift, gift language where God says, to those who don't deserve it, here's this gift, and the gift is His righteousness. And not only His righteousness, but notice it's through the redemption. And redemption language is that language of God setting free. Redemption takes us back to the story in the Old Testament of the Exodus, where God sets His people free from slavery. And Paul uses that language here and later on in chapters 5 through 8 of slavery to sin. And so we see God setting us free. So we have, we're set free, we're forgiven. And we see the forgiveness in Romans 3.25. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. And so this picture of not only freedom from sin, but forgiveness of sin using that temple language. We go on, because we're going to kind of, we're moving through this rather quickly, and there's a whole lot going on here, but we're going to come back and kind of wrap it, put it all together. 326, he said he did it to demonstrate his righteousness 
at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. In other words, he demonstrates his covenant faithful, saving covenant faithfulness, his righteousness. And what did he do? He did it through Jesus forgiving and redeeming us. He is just and the one who justifies. He has justice and he makes us just. He is righteous, he makes us righteous. And for who? For those who have faith. And so he's painting this picture of what it's like. And so what does faith in Jesus look like? It looks like the faith of Jesus. And so that's why I like that, like the faithfulness of Jesus. So to have faith like Jesus is to be, demonstrate allegiance. It's to demonstrate obedience, to respond in faithfulness. Or as Michael Gorman says, he says, the human response to God's grace is to both receive the gift and to pledge allegiance to the giver. And so that's what faith looks like. God gives us the gift, and we respond by receiving the gift, but also pledging allegiance by committing faithfulness. And so we're now we're starting to pull this all together. This is where I want to spend a little more time. So what does it mean to believe? It means to identify Jesus' death as the means of justification. So to have faith means this is the way I'm saved. This is the way God makes it through Jesus' thing. And it's to respond in faithful obedience, a life like Jesus. Last couple verses in it, 327 through 31, he basically says there's no boast. Again, going back to this all day idea because all is a free gift of God available to all. So again, nobody can claim like, well, I've got a special privilege because God gave me a special gift. I mean, we don't have the right to say, oh, you know what? God gave me a gift. And I bet you didn't get one. God, God didn't offer you that gift, did he? And what Paul is saying in the end verses, he says, no, this gift is available to everybody and available to all. So as we kind of pull all these together again, went through what is a real complex and challenging passage in a lot of, rather quickly, lots of language, and it takes these twists and turns, but again, recognizing that we want to see the big picture The big picture is three things. It's about the faithfulness of God. That God is faithful. God's character is to restore and to rescue. He grows in grace and mercy. And so we see it here where God looks at people, and not just the people Paul was writing to, but he looks at all of us and says, you've exchanged my glory for something else. You've chosen your way over my way. You've decided to do things your way. You've sinned against me. You've sinned against your neighbor. You failed to love me with your whole heart, soul, strength, and mind. You failed to love your neighbor as yourself. And the list goes on of what he's piling up and he's saying, but God, but God does what? God sees us in that position. God sees us in that. And instead of casting us off, instead of pushing us to the side, instead of punishing us, But then God does what? He displays His righteousness. He displays His faithfulness. He looks and He says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to free you. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to set you free from the power of sin. But then God, in spite of all that we've done, but then God, God acts. And so we see God's incredible faithfulness. And so we're invited to remember that each and every day. As we maybe struggle through those days, because I know I have those days where I think back on, maybe it's the last five minutes, maybe it's the last five weeks, 
last five months, and I look back and I say, wow, I've really been falling short of the glory of God. In other words, I've not been living the life that God has called me to live. I'm not displaying God's glory in the way that I think, in the way that I act, in the way that I speak. And in those moments, it can be tempting to feel down. It can be tempting to maybe put ourselves down. It can maybe be time to feel a little hopeless. Because sometimes there are these patterns that we fall into. Patterns of the way we live. And just when we think we're getting better, just when we think we've kind of finally dealt with that issue. We say, I'm, I, I've really got my anger under control. And then all of a sudden, it explodes. And Paul says, but then God. But then God enters in because when we feel at our most down and out, and that's the story of the Bible, isn't it? Every time when people feel at their lowest, when the, the situation feels hopeless, when we feel beyond all saving, but then God. And that's what he's painting here in this passage. He's saying, in the midst of all this, because to be honest, if you read Romans 1.18 through 3.20, in this picture of humanity, and then pick up your newspaper or fire up your browser or pull out your phone and look at it and say, it can get really depressing because it can feel like this world is just getting worse. It can feel like things are continuing to go downhill and it can feel like maybe God has written off the world. But Paul reminds us here, he says, but then, but now. He says, and, and that's what I like. It's not just but then. It's but now the faithfulness of God. So in the midst of all that, we remember, but now God rescues. Remain. And God didn't just do it back then. It was done one-time event through Jesus. But God continues to work and to rescue and to restore people even now. And maybe it's not you that needs to hear that story. Maybe it's a friend of yours. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker, and you're looking at them and you feel like they are trapped in that cycle of sin, the individual sins, but also they're under the oppression and the power of sin, capital S, and they're caught up in that thing and you're kind of wondering, what am I going to do? And the answer, what Paul is saying is, you can't do anything, but now God. And what can God do? God can rescue and that's what God exactly does. And how does he do it? He does it through Jesus. He does it through Jesus' faithfulness. So we have the faithfulness of God, and then we have Jesus' faithfulness, which is displayed as a gift to all, by grace, through faith. And it's given as this incredible gift to us. I've gotten some good gifts over the years. I mean, I can think back to certain things, and sometimes it wasn't always the biggest or the brightest and maybe you have those memories of something your parents or your grandparents or a friend gave to you, and it's this gift you treasure. And we treasure gifts for different reasons. But what Paul wants to point us to is the greatest gift is this gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. He's not given us in Jesus, but Jesus is the gift. And the gift that he gives is 
forgiveness of sins, and freedom from sin. Where he goes back and and all are justified freely, justified. In other words, changed and transformed, declared righteous and made righteous by His grace, freely by His grace. And so there's this incredible sense of God's gift. And then the invitation then is like, okay, God is doing this. Well, what do I need to do? And the invitation is for us to respond in faith and in faithfulness. To say, I'm going to give my life to this Jesus. I'm going to give my life to this God who has done this for me. I'm going to respond in faithful obedience. And so his invitation to us, his invitation to the Romans and his invitation to us today is to look at our own lives and to say, where am I at? Am I caught up in this cycle? Do I feel trapped in the power of sin? Do I feel caught up in sin? Do I need his forgiveness? And if I do, I can't find it any other way. And that's the picture he's been pointing. There is no other way out of this situation. God doesn't say, well, you have three choices. You're, in, you're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're caught in the power of sin. Here's three different ways you can get out of it. He says there's one way, and only one way, and that's through Jesus. And so he invites us then to give our life to Him, to enter into faith to Him. And so I would invite you to consider that for yourself or maybe for somebody you know. Is there somebody you know that's trapped in that power? Or are you yourself caught up in sin and the power of sin? And the good news, the gospel that Paul wants us to hear today is there's a way out. And it's not through our own effort, but it's through a gift given by Jesus. A gift to redeem us, to forgive us, to set us free. By grace, it's a gift. Through faith, in other words, our faith, our faithful obedience, our belief, our pledge to Jesus in Christ alone. And so may we hear that good news today. That in the midst of the power of sin, in the midst of the cycles of sin that are in the world around us, in the midst of the cycles of sin that may be in our own life, but now God. And God has rescued us and invites us to receive that forgiveness. So I invite you, if you haven't, to receive that forgiveness. To realize that the only way to be forgiven, the only way to break free from that power of sin is to put your faith, to put your trust in Jesus. And to experience the power of God's righteousness, to experience His covenant-saving faithfulness, to experience His justice to save you and to make you right. Because the gospel, as Paul says, is the power of God for salvation. And so may you know that good news, and may you know that power today. Amen.